Good evening, everyone. This is uh, another episode of the Muni Poly Matters podcast. I'm very pleased tonight to um, welcome, um, actually, a personal friend of mine, uh, Amik <laughs> Singh. He is running in Brampton for city and regional councillor in wards three and four. And um, Amik, how are you doing tonight, man? Thank you. Thank you for having me, Alan. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. I'm doing okay. Coming off a night shift. Coming off a night shift. Uh, my bearings are are a little different. Uh, it's seven p.m. Uh, local time here, so it, it's it's been a whirlwind. I added, uh, as you mentioned, um, you know, in the whirlwind of uh, life, uh, the election as well. So it, it's it's a nice it's a nice mix, if you will. It's a nice mix of things. Yeah, so uh, just to let the listeners and the viewers know out there, uh, I met Amik through, um, we both have frequently been on radio for specifically Saga 960. Uh, Amik actually hosted his own show for a, 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 a couple of years, I think. Yeah, and, yeah uh, it's, it's, in, uh, it's, it's off the air right now just because I'm running, but uh, hopefully it comes back again. Uh, the names, uh, the show's name was Big Talk, but yes, Alan, yeah, we we definitely mingled through Saga 960. There's a lot of people that uh, in my life that have been attributed to that radio station. I have to say, yeah, yeah, it was a nice uh, little panel discussion that we've always had a lot, a lot about local issues in Brampton, in Peel, and sometimes uh, just nationally and beyond. And so. Um, you know, I, I don't think I've ever had a like a long detailed conversation. I know you're in the healthcare um, yeah. sector, but I guess maybe I just go into a, a bit of early background about yourself. Like, sure. Um, what uh, like did you grow up in Brampton, born and raised, and uh, maybe just tell tell the people about a little bit about yourself. Yep, definitely grew up in Brampton. Um, I was definitely uh, someone that look to this country if you will just like a lot of uh, first generation immigrants as a as a new start if you will I, I came in the country when i was in grade one um i didn't uh, have any family members here or extended uh relatives or friends so we actually ended up uh, staying uh in a local gordora for a month before we found our first basement uh that was dixie gordora uh ontario calls to the bar Ontario dixie so every time i drive past it yes it's not in brampton per se but i think mississauga brampton kind of mishmash like that um and uh it's it's a fond memory if you if you see it if you ever go by that intersection you'll see a small house it's a very dated small house next to the larger building that small house, uh, there's a room there that um, our family stayed there for about a month and a half uh, before we got our bearings um, in this country and we, we got our first basement. Um, and ever since then, uh, I've been living in Brampton. Fern Forest uh, uh, was my first school uh, that I went to here and uh, being all prim and proper as, as we were, um, you know, we got our binders. I was very excited to start school and, and was very excited to see that, you know, um, Brampton is, it was full of South Asian individuals, full of um, different cultures, Asian individuals. Uh, we definitely had uh, a large Jamaican presence. We just definitely had a large African presence. So I feel like I was traveling the world going into the classroom. And that, that sentiment I still carry with me to this day that um, this is a very interesting microcosm of a, of a place where, where different cultures from the world have collided and uh, they've made something really beautiful. And in order to 
benefit from that, preserve that, uh, you know, we made friendships and we got to know one another. Um, and the experiences that we had were, were shared. There were commonalities there. And, and I think those shared commonalities came from the frustrations that we had uh, with our parents, with the, with the challenges of, uh, you know, the social norms of the time and uh, financial stressors. Uh, everyone had a different perspective of how they were dealing with it and coping with it. And those sort of things, you don't think that much as a kid would impact you, but, you know, certain, certain memories that you have um, do dictate how you perceive life as you grow up as an adult, right? Not having uh, yearning to be part of an after-school program, um, but knowing that your parents uh, want you back home because, you know, they're working double shifts. You have the uh, interest in, in, in programs or, or going after school, like I was on the soccer team uh, in uh, middle school and in high school, but not having your parents show up at practice uh, just because, again, they're working multiple jobs and um, having the potential to go and join rec centers and programming to, you know, develop your skills. But again, not having the opportunity to or the parents saying, well, this is sports. You're not going to become a soccer player. So let's focus more on the academic side of things. Um, and you go through this lens of life seeing how direction and opportunity uh, provide the outcome and uh, sure enough I actually did pursue more of the academic side of things and ended up going into nursing. Uh, my mom's a nurse. Uh, I was making my decision in, in 2008. It was a very interesting time for, for a lot of people. People that were in the um, business side of things were, were in career change. Uh, mode in, in that time and a lot of accountants a lot of business majors were having a hard time finding a job so you know seeing the scarcity of resources and the gargantuan efforts you know first generation parents put on kid, their kids I, I ended up picking nursing because one I knew I had a job after after uh, a certain amount of time and uh, I volunteered so much in the hospital in Brampton Civic growing up as a kid uh, didn't have much of a social life so of course I had to go to Civic uh, as a volunteer and, and you know we, we found uh, a same eclectic group of individuals that were aspiring to whether going to medicine or nursing or um, you know radiation tech there, there were a bunch of them and even business majors just to work on their soft skills we, we shared the same sort of norms and I went to Trent University for, for nursing in Peterborough. I feel like that's when I finally arrived in Canada in that sense, uh, because uh, yes, there, there were definitely some Caucasians uh, at Brampton, Mississauga growing up, but those numbers were, were dwindling by, by, by the mile, if you will. Um, so Peterborough was the first time, I think I was the only man with a turban in campus from uh, 2011 to 15. The only man on campus with a turban, and middle out alone, uh, the only turban man in a, in a nursing program. Majority of the people there came from the Ottawa Valley uh, region. And I got exposed again to a different uh, way of doing things um, and understanding the challenges of uh, rural Ontario as well as uh, urban Ontario. So it, it shaped who I am as a person. Uh, working in a very intimate setting as, as healthcare, you get to appreciate and see things um, from all facets of life, right? It's the equal, well, up until this point, it is the equalizer that we all have. Um, when we seek healthcare, despite of our socioeconomic status, despite our um, uh, resources available to us, for 
majority of the care that's delivered, it's it's the same, right? And and that that is something that we hold near and dear in this country. And uh, after coming back from university, always had a, an inkling for um, interest in, in government. I, I uh, went, the, the seeds were planted early on. Um, there were some special programs in, in schools and, and uh, we had the option. Peel just a school board every year used to host a, a get together with, with students that were involved in local government. Uh, I was the treasurer in my middle school. I was, uh, I didn't get involved in, in politics in, in high school because uh, I, I chose the sports route and uh, um, had different ideas at the time. But uh, I, I, I in, included myself in government because I, I felt there was a need to understand how the world works. And taking that all in, in was very helpful. It was, it was a way to relate with the world that I didn't have the opportunity to do so uh, when I was in India as a child. Um, that, that, for sure enough, I was quite young. But Alan, you, you come across these norms in life um, wherever you know, you're, you're, uh, the country where your parents come from, um, that you can't engage in public debate and discourse as openly as you can in Canada. So that was like a breath of oxygen that kind of came my way. Um, and I latched onto it. We, as I mentioned, had uh, yearly um, meetings at uh, the head office in Peel Justice School Board. And uh, all the involved government, local government people were, <laughs> were, were called um, to discuss challenges of the world. And that was very profound for me. Yes, we had NGOs to discuss about what does globalization mean? What does urbanization mean? And as a 12-year-old kid, you're listening to these presentations, you're, you're listening to these NGOs come in and you have a profound sense of responsibility that's kind of placed on your shoulder, like your generation has to fix climate change, your generation has to fix, uh, you know, how we interact with the world, the way businesses are done. How do we make things more fair? And you, you are interacting with these big ideas, but the implementation of it in your own local life, you, you see a contradiction. You, the contradiction that you see is there are a lot of resources available, but they're designed for someone in privilege and mindset, someone that has the capacity to take a day's, you know, day off from work in mind, or they have the ability to transport themselves from point A to point B in time. Those barriers were not thought of in those uh, years. Now that's the hot topic, right? Like, how can we make things virtual? How can we make things uh, automated? How can we make things 24 seven? Is there a way to do all of this? Is there a phone line? Like those things in the early 2000s, that level of planning was not there. Transit was horrible to say the least. Uh, um, now, we, I think the generation that's come out of that is involved in government in some capacity. And of course, people are moving towards a more urbanized or connected world, if you will. And they're seeing that having a good transit system, having a good school system, a good healthcare system has a lot of impacts yeah. uh, in how communities work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Those, that's So thank you very much for sharing that, Amik. That's a lot of information. And uh, I can see why uh, you used to host your own radio show because yeah. you definitely have a lot of... Uh, uh, thoughts and uh, ideas about how things uh, sh should work or how the way the world is is um i guess like i want to ask like 
because you, you decided to go into nursing because your mom was a nurse as well, so yeah. there's that background. And like, was there a lot of uh, interconnectivity between the healthcare sector and all these other issues you saw around your community and how they all relate to each other? Because like everybody, you know, healthcare, everybody uses it to varying degrees, right? Yeah. And, and there's like, but there's also like other issues, like you mentioned transportation and affordable housing. Like those are sort of externalities that in a way, like if you can live in a comfortable place and if you are able to get from point a to point b um reasonably like that's still affects your health overall like right so like was there a lot of like interconnectivity in your there was yeah yeah and and i'll touch on it thank you for that question and in the first lecture i had in nursing school was what is wellness what is health and the definition of that was look through the loans uh sorry through the lens of social determinants of health and I'm like, what is this? Social determinants of health. Housing is a healthcare issue. Transit is a healthcare issue. Connectivity is a, a healthcare issue. Access is a healthcare issue. And it's like all the light bulbs went off in my head. And I just didn't have the words to put it in, in that context. But all of these social challenges and social programming, if they're looked through the social determinants of health, you have a much better outcome of, or outlook and a measure of how a community is functioning, how the community is doing. And nursing kind of encompasses all of their assessments through that. And from an academic lens, this is what we study. Uh, We lean on our sociology partners. We lean on our anthropology partners. We lean on our business partners uh, to make these astute decisions and determinations of behavior change how do we get individuals to pick a healthier lifestyle what are some of the stressors how do they manage the stressors we look at these things in nursing school and in in our profession and in medicine as a general to understand the outcome that we're looking for let's say it's less strokes let's say it's less people that have type 2 diabetes how do we get there well, we look at what are they eating? What do they have access to? Is this, a, is this an income challenge? Is there a subsidy that we could have? Um, you know, some days when you're in a rush, you're not eating breakfast. And those, when did those habits get planted? They're, they're in your early days in school or, or how you deal with life. Um, what's your connection with, uh, with, with food? And uh, we go through these questions and scenarios and discuss them. I look at literature and find out uh, the lived experience. That's, that's a general term to describe how an individual's life journey is going and the stressors that are added on. And that same lens, Alan, is used in government, right? In a different variable, we all the programs look at the same measures. How many people are coming? How many people are getting served? Does this program or uh, intended subsidy actually reach the people it's reaching? Did it have the intended effect? And if it does, then the programs get renewed. If it's not there, then we go back to the drawing board and see, okay, how can we change this to make things work? If that's if uh, government's listening and government's paying attention. Um, I felt that sort of lens is very helpful in making local government decisions, uh, provincial government decisions and federal government decisions. So when I came back from you know nursing school to Brampton, I had, a wealth of knowledge and, and uh, assessment skills that I've wanted to implement in my community. I was very gung ho about it. That that I, I you know I, I'll share my transcript with you. Some of my marks aren't that good, 
Uh, but the ones that I'm really proud of to this day is the nursing leadership course that uh, I took in third year. And it discussed exactly how nurses can bring policy change. And I never thought that, you know, nurses and policy, that that's a thing. Um, but then a light bulb went up in my head. It's like, this is my calling. I paid attention to that class, like nobody's business, showed up to every lecture, extra credit. And I had not felt that way about uh, school uh, since I first came uh, from, from India to Canada, because uh, that spark was in me. Like, I want to take all of this in. Like, you, you're very... Um, happy to take all of this information and, and nursing and, and medicine and university in general. You're, you're at a peak of, uh, of life where it's the stressors of getting into school, the stressors of um, being a young adult, uh, living up by yourself, um, navigating the world, kind of impose on you in a way where, where learning isn't the best. As opposed to when you know who you are in your, in your uh, later adult years, you're not really questioning the world, the world definition of you you've kind of formed your own opinion um, and you go out there and try to do the best and that's the same sort of skill set that I kind of brought back here got involved in healthcare advocacy you saw the challenges that you know we learn in school very prevalent in Brampton very prevalent in Peel region um, always had an inkling to go into public health um, eventually ended up going into public health in the pandemic all the ideas that I had as a nurse, I'm like, one day I will try to implement this in some formal capacity. And I found that public health was, was the way to kind of do it. Um, and engaging with the government was the way to kind of do it. Not in a hundred years, I would have thought I would have a radio show and meet yourself. <laughs> that was not on, uh, you know, the as a child or, or as a kid, when you grow up, like, what do I want to do when I grow up? Radio show was not on the, on the agenda, but somehow we got here and uh, engaging the public was a very important uh, sentiment that uh, I think democracies all across the world are having challenges with. And, and we need to look at our health uh, and health of our democracy in a very uh, objective way as well and see like, why is there such disengagement? Um, and local issues do matter because they lead up to the engagement of the public. And, and on a local level, if government is not effective, what's the expectation that the constituents or the residents will have with their federal or provincial government? Because the bad taste in their mouth with their local politicians and officials, right? So it, it starts at home. Everything starts at home. So that's a sentiment I carry forward. And I, I've tried to implement that in my life as best I can. Yeah. Well, uh, so thank you. Thank you again for that answer. So, um, so obviously public health is a very strong, passionate area that you, you want to do more in. Yeah. And I guess that would sort of segue into like the question of why you're running, I guess, because, you know, public health is a regional PO jurisdiction. Yeah. Running for regional council would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, I just want to let our listeners and viewers know uh, where you are actually running and sort of explain Sure. How, the, how the city council is structured in Brampton. So Amik is running in wards three and four in Brampton. So I will post a map along with this interview later, but it's essentially uh, from Queen Street to the north, and I'm including both wards all the way to yep. the uh, border with Mississauga in the south, and then from the west uh, to Mississauga Road, and then to, I think, is Dixie Road in the east. Yep. And so it's just, I mean, there's, I mean, I know certain neighborhoods around uh, the city, like Peel Village is in your ward. Yeah, um, uh, County Gage, Court, Peel County Village. County Court, Gage Park is in your ward. Actually, Park. technically speaking, City Hall 
where the city hall yeah. is in your ward. Yeah. And um, and uh, if it, people out there have been paying attention to Brampton City Hall or decided to Google Brampton City Hall, you might have seen a lot of news that have been emerging these last few months. Yeah. Um, I, I I don't even know where to begin. And like, you know, I you can answer the best way as possible because it yeah. just seems like it. It just seems like. I've been paying attention to Brampton municipal politics since I think around 2014. Okay. It seems that the main concern or thing that people wish for is just some unity around council instead of all this division. We saw division from the time of Linda Jeffrey. And then when Patrick Brown became mayor, everybody thought, oh, we're going to get a more um, cohesive cohesive council. And it seemed like for the first couple of years, it was working that way. But it seems that recent events pertaining to allegations of uh, Patrick Brown, Mr. Mayor Brown misusing uh, city staff for his own political purposes, to uh, certain councillors being embroiled in conflict of interest scandals, to yep. uh, Mayor Brown himself seeking for a few months the federal conservative leadership race, and now boiling down to another division yet again on council over um, First of all, over uh, Mr. Brown uh, putting in alleged cronies in the city uh, uh, administration to um, the vacancy on Ward 7 and 8 because uh, MPP Charmaine Williams was elected to the legislature. So all of all of that, like, I guess I guess the way I ask this question is, why would you want to get into this? Yeah, good question. What are you doing, man? Uh, No, no, thank you. Um, You know what? Uh, you're right. It, it is. It is. Uh, it is a definitely a hard time to ask yourself uh, why would you want to run for office. And my answer to that is because Brampton's home. Um, Brampton is is a place where I've grown up for the majority of my life. It, it's where I've doubled down and uh, seek my my own fortunes and uh, life here. This is something of a of a very interesting city because it, it grew with me. The size of the city grew with me. The population of the city grew with me. Um, and it will age as I age, right? Um, through my life experience, I've only seen growth in Brampton. Um, I've only seen bottlenecks in Brampton. And you're right to say, um, you know, you started paying attention to Mayor Jeffrey's term. Mayor Jeffrey's term was the uh, first time where I, I personally felt that there is um, um cohesiveness uh, in terms of the top leadership and the direction that the city was going at that time of course the 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 power vacuum that uh, elaine moore brought to that council was was not good for brampton and also the challenges of engaging um provincial and federal governments at the time and the way we were going about it was not the best way to do um we were we were working on old you know, small town politics, when we were preparing to become a larger city as the days were going on. And the lack of acknowledgement of that um, in our planning, in our um, asks from government has led to the bottlenecks that we're experiencing right now. And the reason I'm running is because I want to see a Brampton, I want to see my home in a much better place than I had. And there's certain charms that I had growing up that I don't see kids have access to right now. I don't see young families and new immigrants have access to right now. If, if I were to land in, in Canada now and 
try to think Brampton's home. If I would go to that same Gurdwara now and say, hey, is it possible that I could get a room for a month? Uh, they would shake their head and say, no. The, the, the challenges are because the number of people that are coming to Brampton as immigration and climate change is making things harder on a macro level. You're going to see climate migration happen. And that's for the most part, that's what's happening. And being so close to the airport, Brampton's going to welcome a lot of communities, not just South Asian ones. So we're, we're going to get people from all over the world and different walks of life. And, you know, when young families want to make Brampton home, I want them to have that same experience that I had uh, as a kid going to my first classroom, although it might be in a, in a portable at the time. And I was very confused. Why are we sitting outside when there's a building right there? And that's a concept that uh, a lot of families ask now to this day and age. Why are they portable still in Brampton? Why aren't we planning for bigger schools and a bigger, larger footprint? Uh, and those are all regional decisions. Those are all uh, municipal decisions. And uh, they have an impact on someone's life. They have an impact on someone's understanding of who they are as a person. You want to show that we're a welcoming city by our design. And we aren't doing that right now. That's why I'm running to make sure that the design of the city for its current uh, plan and its future plan, that, uh, you know, Mayor Jeffrey's term that I I uh, saw the Vision 2040. Uh, I forget the person's name, but his first name is Peter. Um, uh, a man from Vancouver came out here uh, and was commissioned by the city to design the city in a much uh, connected way, much more uh, cohesive way. And the wonders that Vancouver has experienced because of uh, the, the city planner that uh, was called on. I wanted to seek the same benefits for Brampton because of the large, you know, bustering potential of the city the amount of authors artists um, entrepreneurs um, I, 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 healthcare leaders everybody from local to federal politics that have touched Brampton in some capacity um, and made their name is is amazing and we want to keep that sort of infrastructure in place for future generations because a lot of the world's problems will be solved right here in Brampton you know we we talk about uh, big world politics in what part of the world would you see people that uh, come from countries that have conflicts with one another but they're neighbors and they're getting along just fine and they actually know one another much better than um, you know the country's diplomatic affairs would allow them to know uh, and that is beautiful. That's something we want to preserve and show the world that, hey, at the end of the day, we can coexist in, in a loving, peaceful environment and grow up to um, our full potential. That's that's something that I don't take for granted. And, and, and in the times that we are in today, that's a challenge. That's a challenge to, to see um, that level of unity um, in place. We, we're just past, you know, we're in the month of August now. Um, we, we, we saw so many cultures uh, having their flag racings at City Hall. So many cultures have their festivals here. And people from all walks of life, um, one of the reasons I moved from, uh, you know, uh, east of Brampton to downtown Brampton was to experience uh, the things that I was kind of missing out as a kid. You know, whether it's the farmer's market, whether it's, uh, you know, the real rose theater and the accessibility uh, to culture and the arts here. Um, or just having those wonderful parks that old Brampton's so famous for and, and parts of Mississauga and, and Toronto are famous for. We don't see those planning measures placed in the new communities that are coming up, right? We don't see those large, beautiful trees and the tree canopies and the, and the nice um, long places where people want to take leisurely walks. And you see the 
uh, the average person that lives in downtown Brampton, they walk out a lot, even if they have cars, because it's so beautiful outside. The air is so fresh. Um, that's something that we want to preserve in the generations to come and how we plan our community as we're going to see growth. Where are we going to find these green spaces? We're going to, where are we going to find recreation centers that uh, you know, hold all of these beautiful sports programming, these social programmings, and that sense of community that we're missing for, for a large chunk of time? because of the real estate market and the challenges that came with that, that's a whole, another challenge that the city has to face is how do we bring housing in a dignified manner to the city? Do we uh, implement the secondary units and now even the, the granny units, if you will, if, if your lot's big enough, how do we do that in a dignified way? Those are some of the ingenuities that council has to work with and work with the city's uh, residents to come up with a nuanced approach where we have balanced avenues so the kid that is in the basement apartment the kid that is going to be in the granny suite uh, um, has the same experience the equalizers of life whether it's your school whether it's your healthcare access whether it's transit or your local facilities that they feel welcome in those spaces and um, there's no barrier in participation I think that's the biggest um, challenge that we have right now is there's barriers to participation in, in our locally funded spaces. And to erase those barriers is to have better policy in place and a policy that has their perspectives ingrained in how things are formed. So, you know, as new immigrants move uh, in Brampton and old residents have lived, have lived here for a long time, their quality of life is the same. They, they, they don't feel impacted by the challenges of the world because their government's listening to them and is hearing their concerns and implementing the change that's needed. So that's why I'm running. Okay. Um, so you mentioned the Brampton 2040 vision and uh, you and I have seen the, uh, um, the I guess, uh, pictures or artistic uh, renditions yeah. of the, the, the vision going forward. They're very impressive. Uh, very uh, reminiscent of Singapore in Brampton, yeah. if you can believe it. Um, yeah. I guess like my next question would be like, do you, are you seeing progress on the current council moving along some of those ideas in 2040? And like in terms of finances, how, how is the city going to afford like bringing about this vision to life? Because from what I've heard, Mayor Brown has touted that he's kept property taxes frozen yeah. in the last four years during his time in office. And yet, you know, we kind of need money in order to fund the programs for, you know, basic services, if not even new services. It seems yeah. that like, like, is that a responsible thing to do? Like, I guess my question would be like, you know, how are you on like revenue tools or any sort of thing like that? Like, is it like, can cities like Brampton sustain themselves going forward with just property tax or do they, do they need other ways to uh, raise money? That's a great question. And Alan, just like you and I are having this conversation about, you know, finances, I'm sure that's what the council needs to do in this next upcoming term is talk about finances as a conversation, not as a tax, not as, uh, you know, coming out, you did this and I did that and I'm standing for this and, and you're standing for that. Because once we get in arguments, you're not going to get consensus. And if you don't get consensus, you don't get action. Right. Right now we have a five, five split in council. And that has its own challenges. And if the same variables are there in the next term, we're going to be having to make tough decisions and there's going to be indecisiveness in those tough decisions. This is the third time Rampton's been offered an LRT and we don't have an LRT completed. 
You talk about vision of 2040. The vision is still there, but the implementation is not. And the reason why it's not there is because we're not having a realistic approach in how conversations are happening in, in the city. The reason why the zero tax dollar increase wasn't asked for residents is because they're not seeing services reflect the high tax bills that were currently in place. They're not seeing the bottlenecks being addressed. So they ask themselves, why am I paying so many taxes if my bottlenecks are going to be the same? Because a lot of Bramptonians have accepted the fact or begrudgingly decided that this is just how things are. And that's not a standard that I want to hold counsel to. And, and residents in the city will not hold me accountable to that standard either. As a change maker that's looked at the challenges all levels of government has had, has parlayed with them in different roles. I can assure you that all levels of government, provincially and federally, are looking to plan Canada in a much more cohesive way. It's now Brampton's benefit that if a council's there to kind of put their visions in line with the federal government's policies and the provincial government's policies, lo and behold, a lot of the bottlenecks that we're talking about, other communities are facing them as well. So if a systemic level change is coming in a country's design and resource allocation, why are we not putting our asks forward so we can see the benefits of the change? The resources that property taxes do include, yes, we cannot keep going back to the residential taxpayer again and again and again. Uh, but sometimes when there are no other options in the current revenue streams of the city, we have to go back to the drawing board and say, listen, residents of, of Brampton, these are the bottlenecks you've experienced. A lot of people are actually leaving Brampton because they don't see it as a community that will facilitate growth and it's getting too expensive on top of inflation. Residents of Brampton have always stepped up when, when um, bottlenecks are perceived to be addressed. Brampton Civic comes to mind. The amount of car washes I attended and participated in just without uh, being asked because we're raising funds for civics building, the amount of engagement the business community had here, those things came from the ask of a bottlenecks being addressed. And there was jubilation in the city that we're finally getting a new hospital. Mind you, that was way back when, and the day the lights went on in Civic, it was full to the brim, which we knew it was going to be. So it's not toying with people's aspirations and hopes and giving them a realistic plan. If we're able to offer a solution to the bottlenecks and the cost is associated with that to the taxpayer, much like the healthcare levy that's on the tax bill right now for the expansion of the memorial, um, the taxpayer for the large part is happy with it. They're not upset with it. It's just the misallocation of funds and not getting along in council and not making good decisions. And you turn around and you ask yourself, well, I elected a government 10 years ago, eight years ago for some of these councillors or some of these councillors even longer, larger time on council. And you ask them, what is your legacy for the city? What have we accomplished other than, you know, renaming parks and, uh, you know, other than going out there and just glad having people what is the systemic change that we're trying to implement educational institutions are knocking at brampton's door industry is knocking at brampton's door and they're asking look we like your city you're you're on the innovation corridor we want to build the city up uh we'll actually put our capital in the city but please work with us and council's too busy bickering with each other to actually make decisive decisions so the revenue will be there the cost associated will be transparent to the taxpayer. Any 
fundamental change in design language for the city and the vision implementation. 2040 is now kicked to 2050. And this is a sign of there's not actions on, on any of the items. Engaging the residents and saying, hey, this is the change that we sought out based on the evidence that was needed. How would you like this change to happen? Right? Like I have the benefit of walking down the street on a weekend and experiencing live music, parks, a uh, lot of city programming that other parts of Brampton don't have access to. Wards three and four is very engaged with local government because city hall is literally in our ward. Um, and they have had benefits of that. I want those same benefits to continue, not just for this ward, but we have a city approach that we look outside of our ward boundaries. We connect as a council and then look outside of Brampton. I look at what Mississauga is doing and the, the good practices and best practices of that municipality has had. Look at the growth that Kaladin is planning for and the little space that we do have left. How do we maintain a good quality of life with growth? That's going to be the biggest question that residents are going to ask for. Um, and how do we connect people to one another? You know, the reason why the congestion has gone up is the number of cars in the city has gone up. The reason number of cars have gone up because there wasn't 24-7 access to transit and shift workers and the employment zone areas in, in the city and outside of the city where new residents are going to work aren't really accounted for in our transit. It was somebody that sat on transit committee for the last four years. I had an honest conversation with, with, with Frampton Transit and, and asked them, hey, you know, why is it that uh, we're, we're stopping educational lines going to York University. A lot of people from Brampton go there. Why and why are we stopping? Um, you know, planning with the employers that are part of the shift work and the logistics industry here. Um, and the answers came back as you know, yeah, that's a great point. Let's work on that. And yes, we have the York line that started up again, and the pandemic did pause a lot of things. But Brampton Transit, much like every other municipality, is having challenges with with fuel. The cost of fuel has gone up uh, and there are variables that are in our control and the variables that aren't in our control, right? But to the local person that's waiting on the bus stop, those things aren't apparent. What's apparent if the bus is going to come on time and take them to where they want to go. So that's the endpoint service delivery. That's the metric that I'm holding myself accountable to if I'm elected in government. What is the innovation and service that we look like? from an end user perspective and from the macro perspective, how do we make this easier for the bureaucrats to advocate for a much larger project? We're supposed to get a third facility the federal government has pushed for in Brampton, a storage facility for transit. It never got built. We were supposed to have a pilot that started the electrification of Ferguson and the first pilot project has taken off. But working alongside with the federal government, if we are going towards a much more electrified, densified way of, of doing public transit, um, planning for that would also require the city to kind of look at, okay, what is the cost of changing all of our network into electric, right? And I'm not seeing those conversations happen. Um, and like I said, there is a huge systemic change in how government's deciding to plan for the future. And they're having these conversations openly, whether it's health transfers, whether it's um, you know, the way taxation is done, whether it's how involved uh, the power will be between municipal and provincial, um, all of these things are on the table. In a time like this, if we don't have a united council and a council that has a vision that they are kind of all embodying to accomplish, how are you going to see change? You're not going to see the change that we want to see in Brampton. If we want to be a world-class city, 
And like you said, uh, the Singapore uh, vision that you have for Brampton that, uh, you know, is outlined in the, the schematics, we have to enact a lot of good leadership in order for that to happen or some semblance of that idea needs to be preserved in our duties every day, the motions that we pass in the discussions that we have. I'll have four years of AMO meetings and FCM meetings. And if I'm, uh, you know, that's our Super Bowl and it's AMO's happening in Ottawa right now. Sadly, I'm not there uh, because, you know, nursing uh, capacity challenges and my ER is full and I have to show up to work. So I, have I, to I, I just want to say, I just want to say, I love how you sound, you're, you're so gung-ho and excited about going to an AMO meeting. Yeah, no. <laughs> for, you know, for, for those of you who don't know, AMO stands for Association of Municipalities of Ontario. It's the big umbrella group that represents all the 444 uh, municipalities uh, in Ontario. And they just concluded as of this recording, yeah. their annual general meeting in Ottawa. And yeah, I saw you tweet about it. You were like, yes, Team Brampton is there. <laughs> yeah. We're getting represented. Yeah. Um, so it was, so it was uh, very uh, interesting. Um, I guess like my last question, or sort of second last question. You mentioned about Brampton City Council. I think overall, like the first thing that you gotta do is start actually working together again. Um, it seems like we're rehashing that, but they gotta work together again. Um, the province recently said that they plan to introduce something called a strong mayor powers. Yep. Um, this is a, well, this is gonna be a pilot project for Toronto and Ottawa first. Yep. But uh, Premier Ford has said that he, plans to introduce these for all large cities in uh, Ontario, including Brampton. So yeah. if the mayor has the power to hire, um, I guess the city manager and the city planner, which I think was one of the issues specific yeah. to Brampton that was a problem in the first place. Um, how, how much of a factor of a collegial council would it be if the mayor can just, if, have, if the mayor has more powers to, um, implement his own his or her own agenda or or you know choose city hall administrative staff that sort of thing like how does that affect your role as a counselor if you get elected so that's a really wonderful question and thank you for asking me that question i think politics much like um city council is a team sport right and every sport every team has a captain right Everybody has to roll on the team. Somebody's playing defense, somebody's playing offense, somebody, somebody's playing midfield or point guard. Somebody's job is to make sure you get the points or get the goals in. Somebody's job is to make sure home court advantage is best capitalized on or your defense is there to you deny um, the incoming forces uh, their chances of, of succeeding. If you don't have a strong congruency as a team and the vision is not united, you're going to have disjointment, right? You're not going to have cohesion. If the vision that council adopts is unanimous and it's in line with what the residents want and it's feedback driven and it's community driven, it doesn't matter if the mayor has that uh, power because if that power is given with this council's united agenda behind it, we're all going to get the points end of the day when the game is said and done there's somebody that's going to win the game and lose the game. And I want to be on the winning side of the game, right? Doesn't mean that I have to shoot all the shots myself. Maybe the person responsible for that uh, is going to be the mayor and the people of Brampton have to decide who that person is going to be. Uh, and more importantly, this ruling from the provincial government has come out because of the inaction in just local government councils, where 
we've gone years and years without planning of, of big infrastructure pieces. You talk about Toronto, the gardener is a nightmare. And it's been a nightmare for the city for how many years? But only Torontonians are impacted by it. Bramptonians are impacted by it. Logistics is impacted by it. Um, and, you know, now they've literally pushed the buck as far as they could go. And they've done, they started the emergency repairs that they need to make sure that that key piece of infrastructure remains intact. It's not even growing it or working with the uh, future role of the gardener or expanding it or thinking of other arteries into the city. It's just to maintain the infrastructure. The cost is so much. And it's because of an action in government because nobody wanted to make a bold move and say, listen, this is crumbling infrastructure. It's not serving the city. We need to move forward with a vision. And the cost of changing that let's say in the 90s and the early 2000s would be much cheaper than it is right now. But again, the decision of council was not made. And that's why the price of change keeps going up as inflation rises. And the frustration of the people also keeps going up because they're not seeing change. So if there's a united council with the vision that they're all gonna work on, you don't have challenges with, with the mayor's powers because we need to make some decisions. And sometimes when there is a, a tough call to make, you want to give somebody in council that extra bit of leverage and say, you know what, we need to make a decision. We're all in agreement that change needs to happen. Let's push for this thing. And council will allow for things to move more amicably. And it's palatable to the residents as well, because they're seeing change come about in their lifetime, right? I was thinking about Vision 2040, and the vision that uh, the city wants to come across as. We've declared as a city, a climate crisis. We've declared a housing crisis. We've declared a healthcare emergency. Those are big things. What actions have we taken as a council to address those big ticket things? That warning sign that we keep waving, what actions have we actually taken to address those things? We haven't taken any solid actions other than advocating for funding. Yes, healthcare, because we declared a crisis, we got 250 bets, but we know we're 500 short still, right? Uh, Mayor Jeffrey's term uh, negotiated 500 bets for us at that time. The implementation of it now is 250. So it only makes sense to start planning for that third hospital at the same time that we're planning for phase two. Osler is you know, going to the press about hiring an architectural firm to design the expansion. They still haven't picked and submitted their plans. So there, there's ways of looking, and I see your eyes pop like, why did he say that? I, because it's the truth. And these are some uncomfortable facts that we have to discuss um, as a city and work with our hospital partners to make sure that the city's urgency is understood by all stakeholders because I am going to be seeking elected office, but there's stakeholders in the city that aren't elected, but they also have a huge impact. The Board of Trades decisions are gonna have a huge impact. Osler's board is going to have a huge impact. Ontario Health uh, is going to have a huge impact. Brampton Transit is going to have a huge impact. The real estate board here is going to have a huge impact. How builders envision Brampton growing, if it's in line with, with our vision as a city, they will have sway as well. So this is what I mean by the Team Brampton approach. We're going to face a lot of different teams that might be in our government league, or it might be an international league, uh, or it might be in the realm of real estate. But if the, if the team is doing its job cohesively, we have a game plan in place. We have a good coach, which are the bureaucrats that guide us the way and how we need to do decisions. 
and they have the knowledge skill set and the um, you know the curated understanding of how government works and the advice is the way we, we need to be advised and, and how we move forward and we do our own independent research in how policies that we enact have impacted communities that are thinking of impact uh, implementing the same policies if all of this is not studied and understood before we go you know to the chambers and council and have debate we're gonna have a bad government but if we all do our job uh, go to work talk to one another share ideas sit at a round table with the understanding of respect uh, with the understanding of um, agency for Brampton and uh, advocacy for Brampton if all of that is kept in mind you have a much more cohesive council and lo and behold the frowns on Bramptonian's faces turn into smiles and you ask yourself how did that happen because we were listening to people we were actually enacting the changes that you know council was talking about and people were talking about when I go door knocking and it, you know this yourself every election the biggest frustration people have in government is I'm paying my taxes. This is not working. That's not working. You promised me this. It wasn't carried through. You promised me this. This wasn't carried, carried through. So compromises that council will make, they have to answer for as well. But hopefully there are good decisions that come out of this term. And we don't have the problems of old city hall coming into new city hall. What I mean by that is there's some power brokers in the city that are still dictating terms outside of council. And they even tried to come within council. And unfortunately, people that were appointing them there were doing it in a very uh, nonchalant way that was not really apropos with, with the current legislation, right? And if we, if we are allowing old power brokers to still dictate terms for the city that they don't have a vested interest in, then we're allowing to the city of Brampton not really having the vision enacted for the current residents that live here. And that is the biggest frustration that, that we have as a municipality. Uh, I think we look to our sister city, Mississauga, and the great work they've done. It's a landmark and it's, it's uh, a way of kind of building good practices within our own municipality. It's not that far away. 410 and 403 collide like right there and then. You can go to uh, you know Mississauga's chambers and talk to their staff and ask what are some good practices that we can implement here in Brampton they have businesses that have invested in Mississauga why is that why can't Brampton attract the similar type of uh, businesses or different ingenuities that we can have here Rogers is going to have a larger footprint in Brampton granted they're um, a big uh, perception right now in the media sphere and public sphere is not that healthy but it allows for a conversation to happen which is fiber optic cable all across Brampton, all across Peel region. If Caledon is requesting, and Mayor Thompson has been very gung-ho about this during his term and his final uh, days in power, um, he's pushing for fiber optic all across Caledon. Well, if they understand the challenges of not having access to high-speed internet, and Brampton's going to be a cyber catalyst champion, it's going to be cybersecurity hub, we're going to have uh, institutions coming here educationally, the bandwidth of the city has to go up all across the city, right? So it's not just the new subdivisions that need fiber optic. It's a common sense approach to make sure that the entirety of the municipality of Brampton has fiber optic. I seem to have lost the meek there for a second. Um, let me see. Sorry about this, folks. I... Uh... He's just frozen there, and I'm not sure why. Let me see. I might have to um, 
I might have to reestablish my connection here. Just give me one moment, please. Uh, very much. Okay. Oh, are we uh, back? Oh, are you back? Yeah. I sorry. I don't know what happened there. I don't. Yeah, I don't know either. I just uh, just stop for a second. But uh, it looks like you're okay. So. Um, so yeah, sorry about that, Amit. Okay, that was a okay. that's the first time that happened. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, okay, maybe we should um, maybe we should wrap this up. Um, sure. And uh, I guess so. Like, I'll just make one final personal point uh, because I've known you for like personally for a couple of years now. Uh, yeah. You're very, obviously very passionate about the issues you care about, yeah. and um, and that might rub some people the wrong way. I I I'm pretty sure that would. But oh yeah. I I don't. But I've but I'm very clear about this, is that I don't think anyone out there dislikes you. And I think that would be a help. That's a great asset to have because you seem to get along with just everyone, no matter what side they're on. And I think that would be a great asset should you become the uh, counselor, regional counselor in uh, Brampton. Um, so Amik, uh, how, so as this campaign uh, begins around, I guess, after Labor Day, or even after August 19th, uh, how can people get in touch with you if they want to like volunteer or just ask your question? Thank you so much for, for that question. Yeah, you can follow me on uh, Twitter um, and it's uh, at AmikSing434. You could also call or text me. Um, the number is 647-249-0634. Again, that's 647-249-0634. Um, and in addition to that, uh, come uh, to the local events. I, I, I will definitely have more campaign stops. Uh, if you live in Wards 3 and 4, uh, come talk to me as I, I knock on your door um, or meet you in parks or meet you outside grocery stores and businesses that we all frequent. Um, that's, that's basically it, is just have a conversation with me. Um, you can reach me online. You can reach me in person. Um, I am very quick to respond on on phone um if i'm working a shift yes there's still uh, the healthcare crisis looming I, I i'm definitely still going to be working through it because we're extremely short staff and uh i have skill sets that the public needs as well um so it, it's going to be a very challenging time and and we will definitely have conversations in all mediums online and offline and more importantly i want people to vote this election i, I don't care how they vote just vote this election um, because that is the biggest driver of change and be engaged with your city. Uh, we have a lovely office of the Community Safety Wellbeing Plan that I'm very passionate about um, that has heard your concerns. And I think it's the one of the only forms at a regional level and at a city level that the city's actually got out and talked to residents in different wards and understood their concerns and consolidated data and um, the asks that the city would like to see as a whole, the residents would like to see as a whole implemented with fire, police, EMS uh, in mind and uh, city planning as in mind as well. So it's those sort of forms that I wanna galvanize, give more uh, capital towards so we continue to have engaged dialogues in, in a forum where you know the, the challenges of not having enough policies for rooming houses, the challenges for not having enough policies for transit, um, speeding being the biggest 
conversation piece I'm hearing. And why don't we have those radar cameras in my neighborhood? Why don't we have those traffic calming measures um, in our neighborhoods? Why don't we have speed bumps? And, and those are things that other municipalities have. And I, I don't want to hear the conversation of snow clearing will be hard because if it's currently in plazas and snow still gets plowed, we can definitely do it in a city-wide level as well. Uh, parking being a challenge. All of these things that people are festering with frustration, congestion being a challenge, they need answers. And the way to get answers is to understand their frustration. Go to the, the people that have the specialized skill sets, say, hey, city planners, what can we do here to alleviate some of these pressures? Go back to the residents, engage them. These are options A, B, and C. Which one would you like to have implemented? And then implement it. It's a very simple process. That's how government should be. Um, and I hope to achieve that level of standard for local government as we engage uh, our residents and different levels of government as well. So we arm ourselves with the knowledge and perspectives of Frampton residents in every single meeting we have in an official capacity. Well, thank you very much, Amik. I really appreciate you sitting down with me uh, to discuss about your candidacy and uh, what sort of um, things you want to bring forward to your community. And so uh, thank you very much. And uh, this is the Muni Policy Matters podcast. I'm Alan and I'm signing off. And once again, Amik, thank you very much. Thank you, Alan. Take care.